Yeah, so I, I just want to, I want to exhort and encourage the moms with an article that I read, and it really was profound to me. And uh, I'm going to read it for you to maybe take five minutes, and then, um, then I'll have a, a, a thought near the end. So this article is written by Jen Wilkins, and the name of it is Your Child is your neighbor. And I just thought, wow, this is a great perspective. Now, this isn't only an exhortation for moms. This is an exhortation for dads. And really, this is an exhortation for everyone who's a Christian as they, uh, as they interact with children, because hopefully you're surrounded by some children in your life. Your child is your neighbor. If you ask the single most important insight that has shaped my parenting, it would be this. Children are people. By the way, if Paula Haller's listening, I thought of Paula. She's going to love this article. Um, It seems self-evident. Clearly, they, kids, children, have arms, legs, ears, and mouths enough to qualify. But the idea of their personhood goes far beyond just possessing a human body. It goes to the core of their being and speaks to their worth. Children bear the image of God just like adults. Well, not just like adults. It's true, they're developing physically, emotionally, and spiritually at a different rate than adults. But this is so key. Their intrinsic worth and dignity does not increase or decrease depending on the rate or extent of their development. As Dr. Seuss famously noted, quote, a person's a person no matter how small. If you ask me the single most misleading statement I've heard with regard to parenting, it would be go something like this. The Bible is relatively silent on the topic of parenting. Well, on the surface, this statement uh, might appear true. When we think of, quote, parenting passages, we typically think of those that explicitly mention parents, children, authority, and instruction. Deuteronomy 5 The fifth commandment, honoring your parents, Exodus 20, spare the rod, spoil the child, uh, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, Uh, Ephesians 6, children obey your parents in the Lord, and a smattering of other verses. We may even throw in the example of the prodigal son, um, parenting woes of the patriarchs for good measure. But other than these, relatively few passages mention the parent-child relationship specifically, leading many to conclude, for the most part, God must leave us to figure out this parenting thing on our own. I don't think this is a true conclusion. <laughs> Until we remember that we, uh, we remember that children are people. Because if children are people, then they're also our neighbors. This means that every scriptural imperative that speaks to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves suddenly comes to bear on how we parent. Every command to love preferentially at great cost, with great effort, with godly wisdom becomes not just a command to love the people in my workplace or the people in my church or the people at my hair salon, 
for those of you that are looking forward to going back to a hair salon, or the people on my street, or the people in the homeless shelter, it becomes a command to love the people under my own roof, no matter how small. Children are people, then our own children are our very closest neighbors. No other neighbor, neighbor lives closer or needs our self-sacrificial love more than our children. Suddenly, a great deal of the Bible is not silent at all on the topic of parenting. And she goes on and on and gives some specific examples um, in this article. Like, for example, um, when I want to correct my children with harshness, Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How about when I want to lecture them? Uh, James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How about this one? When I want to make them, when I want to make them my kids, make me look awesome. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When I find meeting their needs to be inconvenient or an imposition, I'm reminded of Matthew 25. Jesus says, Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. When I want credit for how hard I'm working as a mom, and I'll add, as a dad, and I have fallen into this one. Matthew 6 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When I don't want to extend forgiveness for an offense, how many of you know parents get offended at their children? Ephesians 4 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When I completely lost sight of the forest for the trees, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. So the point is, is uh, not only is the Bible not short on lots of instruction on how to be a parent. When we see children as people, 
We see children as our neighbor. We see children as those that we are supposed to sacrificially lay down our life for. Then the Bible is absolutely chock full of instruction for how we're supposed to be parents. I thought it was a really amazing and challenging and inspirational article. So that's my exhortation to moms and dads alike here today. I also um, I, I wanted to share uh, one other thought. And well, I, I guess I, I do want to honor my mom also, if my mom is watching. Um, thank you, mom. I love you. I really, really appreciate you. And if I could say one characteristic in my life, uh, one thing that you did for me was you were so steady in my life. Like, you know, most teenagers, there's all kinds of changes happening and growth and development and puberty and hormones and all that kind of stuff. My mom was just so steady and consistent in my life. And mom, I really want to say thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, April mentioned the idea of her mom going to all her sporting events. My mother never, ever missed anything I was a part of. Be it Little League Baseball, be it playing basketball in high school, she was there constantly. She was my biggest cheerleader, and she was just such a rock and so consistent and so steady in my life. And she wasn't just when I was under her roof, uh, under my mom and dad's roof. She has been that all through the years. I'm 56 years old today, and I so appreciate my mom. So mom, I love you. God bless you. My mother-in-law too, I, wanna, I don't know that she'll ever hear this, but my mother-in-law, I appreciate greatly. She also is a, a huge cheerleader in my life, and I greatly appreciate her. So when my wife and I got married over 30 years ago, like we totally embraced one another's parents on both sides of the family. And that's something, my, my parents did a great job of modeling that for me. Uh, my dad always referred to his in-laws as mom and dad. And, you know, we, we've really done the same thing. And so uh, I am blessed with many, I'm blessed with some actual biological moms. But my wife mentioned, I have a whole litany of spiritual mothers in my life. So I want to end with, with this thought, and, and that is this. Um, we've already kind of, a lot of people have honored the moms. I just want to share like a comforting thought to the moms too. Because I, I do realize this. Mother's Day is, yeah, it's a happy day. It's a joyful day. But it's also a painful day for many women. And uh, it's painful. It's a day to remember how maybe things haven't turned out the way we had hoped earlier in life. Uh, and instead of a lot of happiness, it brings a lot of pain. Uh, maybe there are women, I know that thought when they were young they were probably going to get married and have a family of their own, and it never happened. So this is a painful day. Uh, there are many that have experienced the tragedy of divorce. So this isn't just all happiness. There's a lot of pain there. Um, maybe there are some right now listening to me, you've had the horrible experience of li literally having to bury one of your children 
that has died way too young. I can't imagine the pain of that. Um, Maybe there's some here, and I'm sure of it, that are estranged from your adult children. And you no longer talk to them. You don't interact with them. Maybe some of your adult children are just not doing well in life. Maybe some of that is because some of them are not serving the Lord. And they're making some really foolish decisions. And you're heartbroken as a parent. Uh, and when your kids are suffering, much of it may be brought on themselves. Even sometimes as a parent, your heart, you're, you're, you're feeling the pain of your kids even if they're like serving the Lord. You, still, you never outgrow being a parent. You never stop being a parent. And, uh, you know, in Genesis 3, it talks about after sin and after sin entered uh, the human race, God said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing to the woman. In pain you shall bring forth children. I think that's more than just the delivery room. I think there are painful aspects about being a parent and especially a mother that... Uh, it just it it it's it goes with the territory, and so I want to share just a comforting thought to all out there, but especially the moms that this day brings some heartache to you, and that is this: that mothering is something not that you you do that's actually kind of part of your calling as a human being and as as a woman of God. It has way more to do than just simply like giving birth to a child. Mothering is something you can do to many, 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 many others along the way. In uh, Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul has this long list of, uh, he's greeting people at the end of his letter, and he's wishing them well. And here's what he writes. He says, uh, Verse 13, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So here in this long list of of greetings, and Paul's mentioning a lot of people by name, it shows that the Apostle Paul wasn't just like a preaching machine that just like was a was a great orator, but he he knew people in very intimate ways, and he he at the end of his letter, he had a lot of people he's mentioning by name. He mentions these two people. He mentions Rufus and Rufus's mother. First question is, well, who on earth is Rufus? Rufus is only mentioned this name twice in the New Testament. Here's the other place Rufus is mentioned. In Mark chapter 15, as Jesus is heading toward Calvary's cross to pay for your sin and my sin, It says the cross became, the literal cross, became too heavy for him to carry. And it says, verse 21 of chapter 15, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So here's Simon... And somehow it mentions his two sons, Alexander and Rufus. This guy Simon literally carries the cross of Jesus. Later on, we can assume that this family became Christians. After Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, they somewhere along the line believed. 
And they, down the road, 20 years after the crucifixion, Paul's writing the letter to the Romans. He mentions by name Rufus. Um, It doesn't mention Simon. Simon probably was dead at this point. He mentions Rufus, doesn't mention Alexander, and he mentions Rufus's mom. So Simon's wife, who was the wife of Simon, is mentioned in in, um, Romans chapter 15. And the cool thing is Paul refers to her as not only Rufus's mom, but his mother also. So somehow this woman, who her husband years earlier literally carried Jesus' cross, Somewhere along the line, she became a believer. And as a believer, she not only had biological children she was a mother to, she actually mothered the great Apostle Paul. That, to me, is super cool. Paul mentions by name. Says hello, say hello to her. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me also. You know, I've actually had quite a few mothers in the Lord through the year. Obviously, my mom, my mother-in-law, they've had a great influence and great impact and strengthened me and encouraged me and nurtured me along the way. But I've had a lot of mothers in the Lord too. You know, people like Sarah Reynolds. By the way, mothers in the Lord don't have to be like 25 years older than you. I have some mothers in the Lord that are way closer in age to me, but they're motherly. They're nurturing. nurturing, They're life-giving. They strengthen me in my faith and my love for God and for others. People like Sarah Reynolds, Paula Haller, uh, Joanne Bishop, Patty Birch, who died a few years ago. Patty was such a sweet, godly lady. She would often encourage me. Uh, Darlene Sinclair, Sandy Colbert, Debbie Page was a lady that poured into me, especially in the, my younger years as a Christian, and so many others. But this idea of being motherly is an amazing thing that actually we can all be a part of, but certainly ladies, no matter what their season of life or no matter how many, quote, biological children they might have or not have, they can be motherly and really strengthen people along the way.